Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh my god, how could he do that? Are you on drugs? What? Charles Darwin. Alright, well Logan, it is officially the most wonderful time of the year because in two weeks we will have NBA basketball to watch. I honestly can't believe how incredibly exciting this past few months has been as far as the NBA goes where we had such great basketball in the bubble and then a fantastic offseason as is always the case and now we are ready to get back to some meaningful games with some new looking rosters, some returning very strong rosters and we're going to be talking about a bunch of them today because we are beginning our season preview series. We're going to start with the Atlantic and Central Divisions, which have some of the most loaded teams and rosters in the East, particularly the Atlantic, which is just a ridiculously strong division this year. So let's start there. We're going to run down the rosters. We're going to talk about some keys, some X factors to each of these team successes and where we see them going this season. So I'm going to start with the team I have at the top of the Atlantic, the Boston Celtics, who I have finishing second in the conference. But Logan, when you look at this roster, what are some things that stand out to you and what are your expectations for this team? I mean, first off, they're returning a a really veteran playoff lineup with Walker, Smart, Brown, Tatum, and Tice. They've they've all been there before, so uh, I expect uh, another another team to get back into the playoffs to be in this championship hunt, especially if Jason Tatum can take this superstar top five uh, MVP level uh, ceiling that I know that he can reach. Uh, But I think the most important thing that the Celtics did in free agency, uh, they got rid of. Uh, Gordon Hayward, which I think is a big loss, but hopefully his points per game, his scoring, what he brought to the offense will be supplemented by some of these younger guys like Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard. Uh, if I had to put money on it, I'd say I expect Langford to probably take the biggest leap just because he's been around with the Celtics the longest. And this is just naturally... He's just naturally Gordon Hayward's replacement. This has probably been the plan. With Neesmith, you bring in some three-point scoring off the bench, which they so desperately need, especially if, you know, in a closing lineup, if you don't necessarily want Marcus Smart out there, although I know his three-pointer has improved, you put in Neesmith, and you have a pretty competent uh, closeout five So uh, for, for big-time shots. And then in free agency, just not the draft and bringing those guys in, bringing in a smart rebounder like Tristan Thompson where he knows his role. He's not going to go out there and try to be anything he isn't. He's going to play that Daniel Tice role perfectly. And also, you don't have to worry about Jason Tatum leading your team and rebounding in the playoffs like he did this past season. Tristan Thompson will eat on the glass here in the East. Uh, A huge addition for them in free agency. And then by bringing in Jeff Teague as well is another smart move for the Celtics because you know and I know, Carson, those Brad Wanamaker minutes were sometimes just they were just ugly to watch. We need to limit as many Brad Wanamaker minutes as possible in Golden State this upcoming season. But um, I expect this team to be in the championship title hunt again. I mean, they just reached a conference championship last season. They've been on the cusp, it feels like, every single year. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. I think that if we see Langford, Neesmith, if they can get up to their production and bring back the offensive uh, game that Hayward did, uh, that, that he provided to this offense... I think the Boston Celtics are championship favorites out of the East. I'm picking them to go to the finals. It's interesting. So you would say championship favorites above any team out West? No, out of the East. Okay, got it. I don't think that's totally unreasonable. However, for me right now, 
when I look at this roster, it feels like we're kind of running back what they had last year, and that was a very good basketball team. And I don't want to diminish the loss of Gordon Hayward because it's significant. Their two best volume lineups as far as net rating both had Gordon Hayward in them, which I think speaks to his offensive value. The dude was a fantastic facilitator. He was a scoring weapon, a versatile scoring weapon at that kind of guy who can do it on all three levels with the ball in his hands, without the ball in his hands. And that is not easy to supplement. But I do like some of the additions that they made elsewhere. And you're not going to get the same kind of offensive firepower that you had from a guy like Hayward. But I think you point to the Teague signing. Not my favorite player, but as you said, certainly an upgrade from Wanamaker. Tristan Thompson brings them just a valuable body to have on the interior. The kind of guy who can work hard on the glass and can maybe be a little bit more imposing than the six foot nine Daniel Tice. Although I do certainly like what he brings. And I still think he's the better player of the two. But it's nice to have multiple options there. Although I think Tristan Thompson's actually listed at 6'9 as well. But the dude is just dense and you know can get up there and contest shots and protect the rim at a little bit of a higher level and this starting five is great when you return a starting five of Kemba Marcus Smart Jalen Brown Jason Tatum Daniel Tice you are immediately among the East's best so I have them second in the conference like you it's interesting to me how Kemba Walker's injury situation will develop because he's supposedly going to be out until January. I don't know what that means because that could mean three games. That could mean 10 games. We really don't know. And with his knees, there's always a little bit of a question there. But when I look at this team and the reason that I don't quite have them in that true championship contention conversation right now, and obviously I think very highly of them, they are the second best regular season two-way team out East, in my opinion, after the Milwaukee Bucks, because these are two elite defenses that we see consistently perform. If you have Brad Stevens as your coach and you have quality defensive personnel, you will be an elite defense. And that is certainly the case for this Celtics team. So they were fourth in defensive rating last year. I think that holds. It's part of the reason I'm so confident in them. But the X factor for this team, and you touched on it, is can anyone take a jump? Because right now, I don't quite see that ceiling if they are the same team that we saw last year because Kemba, as good as he was at times, was just too inconsistent last year. He wasn't two years ago, all NBA, 26 point per game Kemba, and not just because of a change in role. I think we saw him get exposed, obviously, when he was getting traps on Adam and was getting doubled by the Heat. He had some really ugly moments, and it wasn't just in the playoffs. It was in the regular season. He had way more 15 points or less games than Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, his co-stars, so I want to see him improve there, and I want to see him healthy and I just think he should be better than he was last year, honestly. And then the guy who I circle the most and say, okay, can he take another leap is, of course, Jason Tatum because he's a guy we talk about all the time. He's one of the most promising young stars in this league who already did some really significant things this past season. And I think even within last year, he kind of took three leaps, in my opinion, because sophomore year, he had a little bit of a slump. His efficiency dropped. He wasn't shooting lights out from beyond the arc as he was as a rookie, but then we saw leap number one was just him coming into his third year with better shot selection, getting downhill to the line more, less tough mid-rangers, smarter threes, and then leap two was post-All-Star break where he's averaging 26.6 points per game, six free throws a game, shooting 46% from three. Obviously, part of that is just unreal hot shooting that is not sustainable, but he was just more aggressive, more consistently imposing his will on the game, and part of it is a mentality thing with him as being that alpha going out and taking over games, and then leap number three was in the playoffs where I had my issues with him as a closer in fourth quarters. I thought he could have been better, but the playmaking was improved. We saw him get up to five assists per game, and that just adds another dimension to his offensive impact. So can he be a true top 10 guy? That's a huge question. But there are other guys too who could possibly take the leap. Jalen Brown, can he take another step as a shot creator or as a playmaker to where maybe he can handle the ball a little bit more in pick and roll situations? Maybe he can be a better secondary playmaker as a cutter or just 
do more to help the guys around him succeed and do more than just knocking down shots from the corner. Obviously, he does, but it's relatively simple isolation offense or it's basically catch-and-shoot threes for him, and I want to see a little more than that. And then Langford is another guy who I look at and say, can he take that jump? But right now, I'm not quite there with this lineup as far as saying they will be a championship team. I do think we need to remember Jason Tatum, as fantastic as he is, is 22 years old, and it's only been two months since we saw him last. So I don't know how much of a jump he really could have taken. And so that's part of where I question this team's ceiling. You talk about Langford coming off the bench and needing to improve. Who needs to take the biggest leap off of the bench for the Celtics to be title contenders out east? Well, I think it is Langford because this is a guy you invested in highly just two years ago and did not give you that value as a rookie. But again, is the kind of guy who I, I can see thriving under Brad Stevens and with this player development just because they seem to get the best out of everybody. And he's a dude who has real tools, has real shot creation and fluidity. Time Lord you can look at just because it would be nice, but I do think the Tristan Thompson signing sort of quells their desperate need for another solid rotational big man, and I don't know if we can expect him to be that at this point, but I like their top eight a lot. Teague, Thompson, Neesmith coming off the bench, I feel pretty good about, and it's a loaded starting five. I guess my question is, do you think they're significantly better than last year? Do you see these guys taking those jumps, or do you just see a world in which it happens? Yeah, I'd probably say I see a world in which it happens. I don't think this team is significantly better, but I really do like the veteran additions they brought in in Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson. Like, I don't think those acquisitions can be overstated. They're both guys with um, playoff experience. They're both guys who are really consistent and play their roles extremely well. Again, the only issue that I have really with this roster is the Gordon Hayward 17 points per game loss because that's a huge blow for any team when you lose nearly 20 points per game out of your lineup. And I think, of course, the case can be made that there are instances in which he's taking the ball out of Tatum's or Kemba's hands, and you don't really need that extra offense. But I do think his playmaking is valuable. I think his scoring was certainly valuable for this team. And one of your five best players, for sure, who you lost. All right, so the Celtics, all in all, although they are fun and exciting because they're a great basketball team and they have some incredible young players, look pretty similar to what they were last year compared to some of the other teams who we will be talking about today because there have been some dramatic roster overhauls. And obviously the most glaring instance of that is with the Brooklyn Nets, who I have second in the Atlantic Division. I have them third in the Eastern Conference as a whole. And maybe they didn't actually make that many crazy moves this offseason, but obviously it's a completely different team from what we saw last year because of the returns of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So I'm high on this team. I think by the time we do our final predictions episode next week, I might establish them as my finals pick because I think there's a tremendously high ceiling. Now, I don't see them beating the Lakers. I don't see them beating the Clippers. I still think those are the two strongest teams in basketball, but I like a lot of the stuff they've done to sure up this core, although I have questions about them as well. So where do you see this Nets team going? Uh, I also, I have them in the exact same spots that you do, second in the Atlantic and third in the conference overall. I mean, it's hard to not be sold on this Brooklyn Nets team. It's a team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. What's not to like? But they did make some really big additions this offseason, bringing back a guy like Joe Harris, trading for a guy like Landry Shamit. Uh, it is imperative to running an offense in the modern NBA. These guys are going to be open all day because you're going to have to double KD to stop him. You're going to have to double Kyrie in certain situations to stop him. And then off the bench, you look at uh, more talent. Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, also, I'd like to say, the Brooklyn Nets already won this offseason because they brought back my man Chris Chiazza Cheese on a G League contract. So technically, huge. I, the, the Nets may be final contenders just, just off of bringing back Cheese. But 
my issue is with this bench, Carson. I think that I think it could let them down, and I mean in a very similar way that we saw the Lakers struggle when they got deep into the playoffs. I don't really like the defense that this team has um, on the perimeter off of the bench. I worry about Shamit. I worry about Prince being able to space the floor um, coming off the bench in an offense. I just don't like their depth nearly as much as the Boston Celtics, but their starting five is definitely intriguing. This is a team that's going to get buckets, so I would say that my two most major concerns when it comes to the Nets are defense because you only have two rim protectors in Allen and DeAndre Jordan and they don't do much offensively but also and I hate to be the guy that brings this take back and up back over and over again but with a guy like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant with characters like that I just question the team chemistry that they're going to have immediately because Kyrie has had that effect on teams I think if he had stuck around in Boston we had gotten this Jason Tatum that we saw last year I think the Celtics win a title that is a that's a crazy duo but Kyrie cut that short he's just He's had a bit of a cancerous past, and I can see that happening here and again in Brooklyn. It was a toxic relationship last season with the coach last year. So, And there's also questions with Steve Nash coming in and how good of a coach is he going to be? What are we going to see out of him? Does he know how to coach defense? There's a lot of questions with this Nets team, so I like the Celtics more just because I know what I've seen out of them in years past. I've seen them get to conference uh, finals. I've seen them on the brink. This Nets team... While it comes with a lot of promise, I think it also comes with a ton of questions as to what we're going to see on the floor. I think that that's a great way of putting it. There are so many more questions about this team than there are with some of the others that we'll talk about today, which is kind of obvious because we have not seen them play basketball together in any way, shape, or form. But I do think this is a really talented roster, and even little things like the Shamit, like bringing back Joe Harris, make me like this roster more. When you have a top eight of KD, Kyrie, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Landry Shamit, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, with other guys you can throw in the rotation in a DeAndre Jordan, a Jeff Green, a Timothy Luau Cabarro, who made strides last season as a pure shooter of the basketball and brings you some two-way value. I really like what they have, but of course, there's always the question of, who outside of KD and Kyrie is going to be able to make the big shots? I do think they have some big-time shooters. Joe Harris is obviously one of the best pure shooters of the basketball we have. Laverne and Dinwiddie are guys who can make plays for themselves and others at a high level. You have a potentially viable pick-and-roll buddy for Kyrie Irving in Jared Allen, a guy who can protect the rim as well. I hope that they don't force DeAndre Jordan to play more minutes than Allen. They fill a similar role. I just think that Allen is better at it at this point. And one of the concerns that I think is sort of natural about this team is, okay, how are they going to hold up defensively? And it's one of the reasons that I can't be as high on them for regular season purposes as I am with the Celtics. It's that and just the fact that they're inevitably going to have to work out some of the kinks in this roster and chemistry-wise, and they're going to have to figure out the balance between how much of this offense is just KD and Kyrie attacking in isolation. Is KD going to be weaponized off the ball a little bit more? All of these things, they're just going to have to figure out how to strike the balance. But this was a top 10 unit by defensive rating last year, which I think is promising. Now, there was a different feel to that team. It was a gritty team. It was the kind of team that had to play hard on defense if they wanted to survive. It was the kind of team where Spencer Dinwiddie is soldiering forward and putting up 20-7, and seven, just trying to carry this team to the brink of the playoffs. So there's a different identity. It's also Kenny Atkinson versus Steve Nash, a little more grit team identity versus maybe flair offensive-centric. Let the stars do the talking and sort of run how things go. So it's just going to be so different that I have a bunch of question marks one more question mark that I do have, though, is about Torian Prince, because I feel like everybody has totally cooled on him, and for good reason, because he has not been great over this past 
season and a half or so, but his second year, he did some really interesting stuff with the ball in his hands. I thought that he showed creation for himself. He was a much better pure shooter of the basketball than he was this past season. He was under 36% on catch and shoot threes this last year, whereas he had been 42 plus percent in the previous two seasons. He hasn't been as good of a defender in his career as he probably should have been, but if you're going to find a situation in which a guy's going to be highly motivated, it's going to be playing with Katie and Kyrie Irving trying to win a championship. But there are fit questions here, and one of the X factors to me with this team, beyond Kevin Durant's health, which I think is a huge one that we have to talk about because I know that reports are that he looks good and he's this incredible all-time athlete, but Achilles tears you just don't come back from them normal. And maybe this is the exception. Maybe medical technology really has evolved to this point. Maybe KD is that exceptional. But I do think that's worth addressing. But to me, one of the biggest things for this team, and I talked about it previously, I kept wanting them to unload Dinwiddie because I was like, that's a great player. He's a little bit extraneous here just because you have so many talented guys who can get their own shot. You have one coming off the bench in Karis LeVert. So go and get you some quality 3 and D guys. They picked up one in Landry Shamit. So to me, the X factor that I look at with this basketball fit is can Karis LeVert thrive alongside KD and Kyrie? Because he's a guy who is best with the ball in his hands, facilitating, creating for himself off the dribble. He can get you 50 that way, but he needs to be better off the ball. He needs to be more committed to playing plus defense because he has to be in their closing lineups. And he honestly might have to start because I'm not all that intrigued in the Dinwiddie and LeVert show off the bench attacking one-on-one time and again, always having the ball in their hands. I don't know if that's going to work. I feel like one of these guys has to acquiesce and then the other one can be the dynamic sixth man. And I feel like Levert's the guy who has to be able to play high-level defense to knock down open shots alongside KD and Kyrie to close. And then Dinwiddie can put on the Dinwiddie show with the second unit. But Levert wasn't great off the ball last year whatsoever. As a cutter, he was in the 42nd percentile. It wasn't something that he did a bunch and he wasn't particularly effective when he did do it. As a catch-and-shoot guy, he was under 32% on less than two catch-and-shoot threes per game, so he has to change the way he plays basketball if this is going to work. He has the tools to do it, I think, but, you know, basketball teams don't win having four guys who are primarily going one-on-one trying to create for themselves and others. It just doesn't really happen that much, and if they're none of them are playing plus defense because none of them are a sure thing to, KD can, Lavert maybe can, but we know that Kyrie and Dinwiddie won't, so... Somebody has to mold their role a little bit and change how they play basketball, and I think Levert is the guy to do it. Do you think it could be a personnel change, though? Maybe a you run a Shamit-Harris-Kyrie-KD lineup? I think that that would work, but again, the thing is, when I look at the bench minutes, how are Levert and Dinwiddie going to operate in that unit? Are they literally just going to be going attacking, saying, okay, I'm the man for this possession. And then Levert says, I'm the man for this possession. I don't really love that. You have a really talented player in Karis Levert who should be able to do a number of things for you. It's just a matter of if he can. So that's sort of the thing that I look at as being the X factor for this team. What do you see as being the key to, okay, maybe this is their ceiling, this is their floor? I just see, like I said earlier, I see it as really how well this team can gel together. Uh, we talk about how new this roster is. Can they work together? Can they fit? Can Kyrie and KD coexist? Those are my biggest questions. And then, um, like you said with the bench, I'm not a huge fan. I think that <laughs> when your biggest bench signing this season is, you know, Landry Shamit and Jeff Green, I think there are some issues. Obviously, there are cap restrictions when you have guys like KD and Kyrie. You can't go all out on your bench as well, but um, you're going to have to get production out of them. And like you said, 
if their bench offense is Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert just trading instead of running an actual offense where they can set up shots for teammates, uh, it, it's going to be ugly basketball to watch with KD and Kyrie off the floor. I feel like I just need to see this team play because there are so many questions, obviously, particularly on the defensive end, but also offensively. How do KD and Kyrie work together? Are we going to see some KD Kyrie pick and roll that people were always saying maybe we'll see that in Golden State with Steph Curry and it never really happened because Steve Kerr doesn't really want to run that much pick and roll to begin with. So there are avenues this team can take to be really dynamic offensively and if they have the right identity and mentality defensively, they can compete at a high level. Another question I'll pose to you is how much does Kyrie really drive winning as a second guy? Because obviously... We saw in Boston great teams where he was the star, but not great enough at the end of the day, and he had fantastic surrounding personnel. You go back to Cleveland, and of course, there's the year that they win the championship in 2016. He plays the best basketball of his life, but it's really just the value of him as a pure shot maker. So do you think these teams who don't necessarily have a second guy who is at the top of the list as far as winning basketball, he's not Kyle Lowry in his all-around impact, he's essentially just a scorer of the basketball do you think he's going to do enough for them to really be in true contention this year? Alongside Kevin Durant, I think he does enough to get them in that conversation. But to your earlier question, no, I don't think Kyrie really affects winning basketball like that. Like you said, his time in Cleveland, he didn't really win anything, although his teams weren't that competent. He had to wait for LeBron to get back. I think Kyrie Irving is best served in this role as the second guy and is a late-game shot maker and shooter off the ball when necessary. Yes, he can create, but that's why I think Brooklyn, we will really see the medal of Kyrie Irving and if this can work because I think Kyrie's just better suited as a second guy and as a late-game closeout shooter. So if it doesn't work in Brooklyn, Carson, I don't think I don't know if Kyrie works anywhere. Yeah, I agree. This is kind of tailor-made for him. We saw him do some incredible things offensively in the 20 games. He was healthy last season where he basically put up career highs across the board, was averaging 27-plus very efficiently. I do want to ask you one more thing. And this is tough because it's complete speculation. We don't have any insider information here, but how concerned are you about Kevin Durant's health? And are you just expecting to see normal KD or do you think there's going to be a little bit of a drop off? I mean, I am extremely concerned with Kevin Durant's injuries. I think, I think anytime you have a lower leg injury to any player, you're extremely concerned. But with a guy like Kevin Durant, I feel like his game won't suffer that much. When what I mean by that is... Yes, you're going to lose some explosiveness in that when he's driving to the rack, but Kevin Durant is such a talented shooter. I don't think you're really taking that much away from his game. It's all in that stroke. As long as Kevin Durant can shoot the basketball well, it's really what separated him and made him unstoppable before the injury. So I think as long as his shot's going in, uh, I don't think his game is really predicated that much on athleticism uh, because he's so big. What about you, though? I mean, you saw him play in Golden State. What are you expecting out of KD? I'm expecting superstar KD. I'm expecting top five guy in basketball KD, but I just don't know if that's realistic or if that is just because that's how we saw him last when he was playing damn near the best basketball of his career. He was averaging 32 a game in those playoffs, just doing unreal things, decimated the Clippers time and again, and then obviously that injury kind of changes everything. So I just don't really know, but I am running under the assumption that we're going to see star KD, and that is driving my faith in this team because... KD propels teams to winning, man. It's been a long time since KD's been on a 50 has been on a team that was not 50 plus wins at least moderately in the conversation as a contender and that is accordingly what I'm going to expect because I do like this roster and maybe there's some interesting stuff they do. Maybe they try some KD at the 5. 
there are some routes for this team to have real offensive firepower, as I already said. So let's move on. Here we might start to differ because I have the Philadelphia 76ers third in the Atlantic. I have them fifth in the Eastern Conference. It was a very tough decision for me between them and the Raptors, but do you have the Sixers in the same spot, and how do you feel about them this year? Uh, I have the Sixers in the same spot in this division. I have them fourth in the conference overall. I mean, I think the Sixers really, I mean, had a really tremendous offseason. You get off Al Horford, who doesn't fit in your offense, who, yeah, he's a great defensive player, but... (laughs) When you're running Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, it just doesn't work. So finally, they get off of him. I will say, though, while I think they had a really good free agency and draft period, you get Danny Green, you get Seth Curry, Tyrese Maxey, Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed. I think that the losses of Alec Burks, Raul Neto, and Josh Richardson cannot go overstated. I think that uh, Richardson is a tremendous secondary playmaker and ball handler. Although if you're going to give up a player to get Seth Curry, he's one to do. So the Richardson one, not as major, but I don't like losing Neto and Burks off of the bench because I know what they can do. I think that Burks is going to have a big role in New York and Neto is just a really smart, crafty playmaker. As for what they did though, I mean, I expect, (laughs) I expect big things out of the Sixers. And I hate saying that because of how caught up we got into the Sixers last season. I thought that they were my title favorites before the season. Oh, man, the lineup with all these stars can't possibly fail. Well, we saw with Simmons and Embiid, you need shooters around, which is still the key issue here. If Seth Curry starts, I am way more confident in the Sixers just because he is an absolute marksman. He's one of the best three-point shooters of all time. When you have... Danny Green maybe at the three. I just want as many shooters as possible for the Sixers around Simmons and Bede to succeed because I think the X factor for this team, Carson, is this starting lineup. If Danny Green is missing shots like we've seen in the playoffs, these past the past four playoffs we've seen him is he hasn't shot over 40%. Um, and, and that's definitely concerning, I think, for a player that whose value has not dropped off that much. I'm not sold on Danny Green. When you're running a lineup with Matisse Thibel alongside Ben Simmons, I know Thibel's a decent spot-up shooter, but I'd like more out there. But the X factor for this team in the starting lineup, Carson, in my opinion, is Tobias Harris. Because last season, we saw Horford get the boot because he couldn't shoot. He couldn't fit alongside these guys. Harris is the next man up at that four spot. If he refuses to step out and space the floor, because they have come out and said, Ben Simmons is our facilitator, Ben Simmons is our playmaker, he's going to have the hand in his he's going to have the ball in his hands. Tobias Harris has got to jump out and start knocking shots down from behind the arc. Because if he doesn't, I don't know if it's this season, because I don't know where his value stands across the league. Either this season or the next offseason, Tobias Harris is getting moved out if this Philadelphia Sixers experiment doesn't work. Or they just try different lineups with different starters. So, uh, (laughs) we're basically in the same boat we have been in the past three seasons with the Sixers, Carson. Can they find shooting partners to work alongside Simmons and Embiid? And will it work in the playoffs? I, I feel like we're on just another 76ers roller coaster. Yeah, I think you made some great points there because to me, I look at this roster and obviously I like what they did. And you mentioned the Green and Curry acquisitions. I thought going and getting Isaiah Joe in the draft was fantastic as well because that dude is a flamethrower at the very least. But even though this team has improved, you have to ask, where are they elite? Because they were 14th in offensive rating last year. They were 8th in defensive rating. They never kicked into gear. They never flipped the switch and we can make Horford the scapegoat for that as much as we want. He was obviously a huge part of the problem. Richardson was also a huge part of the problem, so they have fundamentally improved there. But I do have to ask, how great can this half-court offense really be? Because just in minutes when Embiid and Simmons played together last year, they had a plus 0.6 net rating, which is a league average team. And the two years before had been hugely positive, so maybe that is a little bit fluky. But 
where are they going to innovate here? What are the changes going to be? Because you're not going to run Simmons MB pick and rolls. They've just never done it. Simmons was not an efficient pick and roll ball handler last year. He was 39th percentile. Embiid was not an efficient role man. He was 27th percentile. So that's not where you're generating your half-court offense. And then you have this guy, Tobias Harris, there who seems to just be doing his own things where he thinks, I'm going to operate out of the high post. I'm going to take a bunch of 20-footers. And Harris, Embiid, and Simmons lineups were only a plus 1.5 net rating and had an, an offense that would have been league worst. And the way Tobias Harris plays basketball is just not cohesive to supporting these two guys because he loves to operate in the mid-range and he loves to do things with the ball in his hands. 23% of his shots came at the rim. That's too low. 30% came from three. That's also too low. So it's a huge chunk of your shots that are coming from floater range, out of the post. He needs to just take the most efficient opportunities and accept that at his best, he's more of a role guy here. He's not a third star on this team. He can be a great pure shooter of the basketball. We've seen him hit 40% plus from deep. He didn't do it last year, but that doesn't mean he can't do it again. But there's no reason for him to be taking 16 shots a game and only free th three free throws and like five threes. It should be more threes. It should be more free throws. Needs to be more efficient offense overall. Part of the reason I am optimistic about this team, though, even with all the fit issues that remain, is that the fit issues have gotten better. You cannot deny the improvement from being able to play Shake Milton and Seth Curry or Milton and Green versus Josh Richardson and Al Horford. You have gotten significantly better shooting the basketball. And... I feel like we have a really different level of motivation from the Sixers this year. That's not based on anything necessarily. I just feel like we have to because they have two very prideful young stars who were embarrassed in a lot of ways last year. And I think it matters that this team is highly motivated because Simmons had that mentality last year no matter what. Joel Embiid did not. He was perfectly content to play his 29 minutes a game and to just kind of chill out. And he would get his numbers, obviously, and he could dominate when he needed to and he was able to dominate in the playoffs, although the team lost, obviously, because they were injured. But we need a full season of effort from these guys, and I do feel like they're going to be improved there. Transition, we know they can be great because they have this guy named Ben Simmons, and now they have some dangerous shooters around him. Defensively, I don't know. Are they going to be truly elite defensively? I don't necessarily think so because Milton is a guy who I like. He has tremendous length there. Harris is eh defensively. Seth Curry is a minus defensively. Danny Green is obviously a plus defender. So I just don't know if they're really elite in any category. And that's why I can't put them higher than this. The ceiling has to be higher. You have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, but the floor is also below this to me. Let's talk about some of the X factors for this team. Some of the things that can really swing their ceiling versus their floor. What do you look to there? I mean, if we see a jump from a guy like Tyrese Maxey or Isaiah Joe where they're getting minutes and hitting down a lot of shots, uh, that could be a plus for the Sixers just because of their necessity for shooting. Outside of that, Carson, I don't really know. I mean, it's this offense is so dependent on Ben Simmons getting the ball out to shooters. <laughs> it's just going to be... Uh, the biggest question is, can they knock down shots with an offense with this many big guys on the floor and this many non-shooters? like it has been every single season. So uh, I think the X factor is just going to be maybe Ben Simmons. Can Ben Simmons, and honestly, Carson, all this talk about, <laughs> I think it's funny, all this talk around surrounding shooters around Ben Simmons has, getting, has gotten us really far away from the main point. Ben Simmons still can't shoot a freaking jump shot. Ben, go in the gym right now. Go shoot some threes, please. Just sit there for two hours and just chuck them up because this this wouldn't be as much of a problem if we could trust Ben Simmons from deep. So I'm, I'm changing my X factor. While it's Tobias Harris, and if he doesn't work out, I think he's out of town. Ben, go, go shoot 
five a game and hit 33% of them, and you were a, this offense is so much better. So I'm going Ben Simmons as my final X factor. I think you're right because we have such a tendency to look at how exceptional Simmons is at everything else on the basketball court, and I am 100% guilty of this because I love watching him play. He gives so much effort defensively, has such quick, such quick hands, is such a phenomenal passer in transition, but the dude verges on being a half-court liability, and that is true no matter who's with him because he doesn't have the first step of a Russell Westbrook or a John Wall to where you can just set him a screen and then he's gone, he's at the bucket. The dude's 6'10". He is quick, obviously, for his size, and that's what makes him such a weapon in transition, but he's not at that level of game-breaking speed. He obviously can't knock down a pull-up jumper to keep people honest. So you can't run pick-and-roll with the dude, and primary ball handlers run a lot of pick-and-roll in this league. He can't do it. That limits what you can do ever in the half court. So there's still clunkiness there. That is inevitable. And I do look at the offseason additions and say, okay, do they really fix everything? When you add two big-time shooters in Curry and Green and you pick up a quality rotation piece, how much does that really help them? I don't know. I also look at what MB do we get. As I mentioned, is it 34 minutes a game, 27 and 13 MB like we saw two years ago? Or is it 29 minutes per game MB who can put up the same per 36 stats? But... It matters how much you're out there putting your imprint on the game. And then the last thing I look at that I will always look at with this team that they have been glaringly missing since Jimmy Butler left is the closing shot making because this team was 8-11 last season in games decided by five points or less. They were 17th in clutch offensive rating. And I think that that's obvious. Tobias Harris is not the kind of guy who's going to go and get you a big bucket late in games, but he's your best option at this point. So is it Shake Milton suddenly? I love Shake Milton. I don't know if I want him taking my game-winning shots. Is it? And maybe this is crazy, Tyrese Maxey, who I absolutely love as a two-way performer and just as an incredibly gifted shot maker. I've said it time and again, I think he was the best scoring prospect in this draft. I don't know. They got to find that bucket getter somewhere, though, because otherwise they can play a better 46 minutes of basketball, and that will be fantastic. But at the end of the day, you need somebody who can make tough shots, and they still do not have that on their roster. Overall, do you think you end this season disappointed or pleasantly surprised, pleased with the Sixers? Disappointed, like I do every year with Philly. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say anything else. I do feel, though, like there's more of a world in which they prove something. Because I don't want to just dismiss what they did three years ago and two years ago, where they had that incredible 18-game win streak or whatever to win the season, to end the season when Ben Simmons was a rookie, and then they were that close to beating the Raptors two years ago. They just had a nightmarish basketball fit last year, and there are still going to be issues there, but I do think it's better, and I am optimistic, but it's very likely that I will be disappointed because of that. So I think that we should be in agreement with who we have next in this division. The Toronto Raptors, it's crazy that they're fourth in their own division. I have them sixth in the conference. Where do you have this team? What are you thinking about them preseason? Oh, no, I have the Knicks at six. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> um, I think with the Raptors, I have them in the exact same spot as you, fourth in the division, which is crazy to say because when I was making my list for the East, it's like the Raptors are a top-five team, but it was hard because I still believe in this roster, and honestly, I think if we're talking about two teams that I expect to be disappointed and impressed by, the Sixers and Raptors are two right on that line. I think this could be a very easy flop where the Raptors go four. Um. For what the Raptors had at stake this offseason, I think they had the best possible one just by losing your two big men, but you still bring back Fred Van Vliet. With those two big guys on the line and you can bring in a high-quality replacement like Aaron Baines, uh, impressive just for an offseason where you stood to lose a lot as a Raptors uh, organization and as a fan. So uh, 
I still like their fit. Lowry, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, and Baines is a tremendous starting five. Off of the bench, I may like them even more because I think Malachi Flynn could take a step just because of how old he is. I know he's game ready and ready to perform immediately day one. Uh, Terrence Davis, uh, Carson Brubber, and I are the founding members of the Terrence Davis fan club. Uh, I expect him to have... Although, although we have had to walk back on that a little bit because there was a domestic violence incident and... Actually, I don't even know how much he's going to play this year because I think that that is playing a factor in his availability for the team. We have canceled the Terrence Davis fan club. I expect Norman Powell <laughs> to get those minutes. Um, and maybe maybe Patrick McCall. I do like Terrence Davis. It's a shame that thing had to happen or that those came to light. I'm hoping that they handle that. But uh, Davis was a really tremendous player for this lineup. It's a huge loss if they don't have him back for this season. So... If Norman Powell can fill in those minutes, I still like this bench overall. I think Malachi Flynn takes a jump. Uh, we've, we've had a lot of talk about X-Factors, though, today, Carson. And I think the two biggest ones are in the starting lineup for this Raptors squad in OG Ananobi and Aaron Baines. For Ananobi, he's the guy that everybody in Toronto, every Toronto fan I talk to, especially Peyton T. Gallagher, says OG is next up. OG is the man. Um, I don't really know because he's a good three-point shooter if he's been working on that if he can get to over 40 percent uh 40 percent become a marksman last year he shot 39 percent on 10 points per game i expect his averages to go up maybe we see 15 points per game 16 out of og just because the touches are going to be there and then in aaron baines i don't want to understate the losses of marcus all and serge Ibaka. Uh, Marcus Gasol is the offensive center, Serge Ibaka the defensive center. You're going to need a high-quality rim protector. I think you get that in Aaron Baines. He's an extremely smart. Um, I actually think Aaron Baines, the signing was perfect just because he does what Marcus Gasol does well on offense and what Serge Ibaka does well on defense. I don't think he's as a tremendous shot blocker as Serge, but what he does offensively and how he's going to be able to space the floor for Lowry and Van Vliet uh, adds another um, different aspect of that offense for Toronto. So... I like Baines. I think that this team honestly didn't lose a lot as much as I expected. I think by bringing back in Baines, it supplements what the loss of those two centers had. I expect uh, Toronto to, on the high end, be in that championship conversation. Honestly, Carson, if if they maximize their potential, if we see a jump out of OG, and if if Pascal Siakam can figure out how to do anything except spin to the basketball rim and put up a shot offensively, I think this team has a lot of potential. But with what they lost, I don't think this is this isn't the 2019 team we saw with Kawhi Leonard. They're just missing that star again. We were huge Raptors advocate for the entirety of last season. Obviously, we both had them go into the finals for a big chunk of the year. Ended up not happening, and I have to say. I have soured on this team a little bit because I question the sustainability. And the Ibaka and Gasol losses hurt. I love Aaron Baines. I think that's a great pickup. Chris Boucher is the kind of guy who can give you solid rotational minutes as a high-level perimeter shooting, rim-protecting big man. But none of those guys are going to have the complete impact on the game that Ibaka and Gasol do as defensive anchors with versatile offensive impact to where Gasol can space the floor. He can act as a playmaker. Ibaka, obviously we know what he's capable of doing as a jump shooter and guarding fours can still be really great. Not a fantastic defensive center at this point, but that was never his role in Toronto for the most part. So I just look at this team and I wonder how do they sustain what they did last year without those two guys? And how do they get better? Because I do love the depth of this team, obviously. And I will bet on every one of these role guys to continue to improve. Malachi Flynn, I think, will be a fantastic player in Toronto. I don't know how good he'll be as a rookie. 
He might kind of have the keys to run the second unit alongside Norman Powell, but could see him in a lot of pick and rolls where he was fantastic in college. And he can impact the game for sure. Matt Thomas is one of the best pure shooters in basketball. We saw some big moments from him last season. I think he will continue to improve, although his ceiling isn't very high because that's basically all he has. You just run him off pin downs and have him coming off and catch and shooting all day, but he can be fantastic there. But again, those guys aren't going to change this team. They're not going to bring them to some other ceiling. So how do they get better? Because I don't see Siakam taking another stride. I was pessimistic about his offensive ceiling before last year. I was wrong. Then I was kind of right. His last 18 games, which is just the bubble in the playoffs, he was 16.9 points per game on 39.5% from the field, 26.5% from three. And Thomas Davis, Flynn Boucher, those are all guys who I like, who could get better, who will be good contributors. But none of them changed the game. And so when I look at the X factor for this team, they need more offensive punch somewhere because they were 14th in offensive rating last year. They were able to survive and thrive in spite of the fact that they were average on that end because they were so exceptional defensively. I don't know if they can sustain quite that level of production on that end. Feels kind of unlikely to me. And so then you look who takes the leap. Is it Fred Van Vliet? He was fantastic in the playoffs. He has come so far. I don't know if he has the next level athleticism, though, to where you can say he's truly a star because he's already so brilliant as a playmaker. He's such an incredible shot maker from the perimeter, and he's so agile around the rim. But is he going to have that kind of game-breaking first step out of nowhere? No, obviously not. You just don't develop that at 26 years old. I don't see it being OG at all. I like OG a lot. If he's a quality 15-point-per-game scorer, considering the fact that he's really an all-defense level guy, that's a fantastic player, but he doesn't have the fluidity. He doesn't have the wiggle in his game. He doesn't have the handle. He doesn't have the playmaking. He's never going to be a great offensive player. So as much as I like this team, and although they do retain a lot of what they had last year and they still have the best coach in basketball, they still have a great team defense, they still have this identity, a little bit of this feels slightly unsustainable. And so when I look at the potential for what the Sixers can be, it just intrigues me a little bit more. What do you see as being a key to this team that we haven't touched on? Uh, well, I think you hit it perfectly, Carson, when you brought up Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Van Vliet's the I mean, they paid him all this money, four years, $85 million. He's got to be the guy that runs this offense. We saw it in the playoffs. He was the difference maker when nobody else wanted to touch the rock, when nobody else wanted to put up shot, guess what? Fred Van Vliet was there, and I talked about how good he was in the playoffs last uh, season, last time we saw him. It really wasn't. It was a very inefficient. He shot 40% from the field. He shot 39% from deep, which pretty good shooting numbers, but just how much he was shooting the basketball. I think that Van Vliet can run an offense, but there's just... How small he is. I hate harping on that point, but just with how small he is, that definitely limits what he can do offensively. So I think Van Vliet's going to be be the guy offensively who he's the guy this offense has to trust to go out and get a bucket when it's tough. And I just don't know at 5'11", at 6 foot, if Fred Van Vliet, if he can do that consistently. The reason that I compliment his playoffs, regardless of efficiency, is he was the leading scorer on a team that could have made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and that is commendable no matter what. Where do you think Kyle Lowry goes this year? Is he the same player that we've seen? Does he finally start to regress as he gets into his mid-30s? I don't I don't think so. It's always so tough to tell with these kind of point guards. I just feel with how Kyle Lowry plays basketball, we haven't seen a drop-off yet, so I'm not expecting it anytime soon. His game is kick the rock around and play defense. So, uh, no, I'm going to say that I don't think Lowry's going to be up near 20 points per game again this season just because I think Siakam and Ananobi are going to get significantly more offensive touches, but 
like 15, five and seven. I think that's perfectly reasonable for Lowry. Yeah. I love Lowry. I think he's one of maybe the first 15 guys I would take if I'm trying to win a title, a phenomenal winning basketball player. The thing with him is though, he's a ceiling raiser. He's not necessarily a floor raiser. He's not going to be a volume offensive option and you need him to be there in the biggest spots. But if you don't get to the biggest spots where he can't make that game changing play last second, it doesn't really matter. Top 15. I'd have to go through all the names because the league is loaded, but whenever I did my guys, I would take to win a title thing. He was right around there. I would take him over Kyrie if I'm trying to win a title. And I think that we've seen that he can be that elite shot maker when you need him to, he can be that great facilitator. He's a defensive impact player, no matter what. I just love that guy. And I love the Raptors. I really do. But I question how high they can fly this year. Cause it just doesn't feel like they've gotten better anywhere. And internal development is a strength of theirs, but I don't know. When everybody else is getting better and you don't really, you get worse by proxy. So let's talk now about the team that shall not be named because they are just disgusting and I hate them. The Knicks, what do you have to say about them? Call me crazy. I think the New York Knicks are going to be, I mean, they're going to suck. I don't think they're going to be that bad next season. You're crazy. I have them 13th in the conference. I just think with the veteran players that they brought in, uh, and brought back. Resigning Alfred Payton, I think, is a good signing for this team. Look, I'm not going to come out here and say the Knicks are making the conference finals. I think they win like 25 games, but I think the veteran pieces they brought in are pretty solid signings. Uh, Rivers is a really good bench point guard. He'll be a he'll run he'll do a great job of running the second unit. Uh, I really like the Alec Burks signing just because no one wants to shoot the basketball in New York. Um, Burks has put up. Uh, he put up 16 points per game for the Warriors. He put up 12 points per game for the Sixers. He just knows how to get buckets, so I think that was a decent signing. Um, I mean, their lineups, Alfred Payton, R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. Uh, so I think the I think the X factor this season, if the Knicks are going to win a lot of basketball games, is Obi Toppin. Uh, I think we know what we're going to get out of R.J. Barrett. I'm not that... A, I just don't really like how his, his game, how he plays. He's not an efficient shooter, and I don't know whether to blame that on him or the environment that he played in last year because he didn't really have any teammates. But if this Knicks team is going to win more than 30 games, it's going to be because of Obi Toppin. I don't expect it. This bench is okay. This starting five is mediocre. Obi Toppin cannot space the floor the way some of the other guys on the draft board could have for the Knicks. So 20 wins and a uh, another disappointing season for Knicks fans. Let me just say why I don't like any of the moves that you talked about as being little <laughs> wins for the Knicks. So, Alfred Payton, why are you bringing him back when you're the worst outside shooting team in basketball? You're just making that worse, and you are literally putting R.J. Barrett in basketball hell for a non-shooting, pick-and-roll ball-handling facilitator at his best. You're just going to say, hey, what if we put a point guard alongside you who can't shoot the basketball, who's going to be ball-dominant himself, and who he's going to run the offense? Oh, that's fantastic. Alec Burks... Yeah, he's certainly not afraid to shoot the basketball. I don't know if that's good. I don't like Kevin Knox at all. He's one of my least favorite prospects that I've ever seen go in the lottery, and I've maintained that position. But do I really want Alec Burks coming in and saying, hey, I'll score 18 if that's what you guys need? I'd rather have Kevin Knox shoot 35% from the field, so then we can at least know for sure that he sucks if we don't already know that. So adding Austin Rivers... I guess you bring a little bit of shooting. I like Austin Rivers. Kind of a bummer that he couldn't go somewhere where his career wouldn't die. But there's so much hideous basketball cohesion here. How do Obi and Julius Randle coexist? Why is Julius Randle still on this team? Why would you ever sign Julius Randle to a multiple-year deal? What are they going to do? It's just going to be 
oh my God, it's going to be so hideous. He's just going to take his 25 possessions a game where he says, hey, what if I barreled downhill? What if I did that, guys? That would be fun. What if I turned the ball over? Okay, that'll be cool. I just have no reason for optimism with this team. I think that it's going to be disgusting. I don't know how anyone progresses. Everybody gets worse in New York. Even a guy like Reggie Bullock, who's on this roster, who had shot 41% over four years in Detroit, comes to the Knicks and suddenly shoots 33% from deep because that's just what they do. They drain you, and they just end your career. 20 wins or less for the Knicks, Carson? Less. I would say 15. No, I'm taking Can I take you? Can we Can we make a bet right now? I, I'm taking the Knicks over. All right. Let's do it. Remember, it's a 72-game season, so 15 is not as terrible as it would normally be, although it's pretty terrible. Oh, yeah, I'm taking I'm taking the over. All right, fair enough. So I do want to talk about the X factor you highlighted because Obi is one place this team can look at and say, all right, maybe something good will happen this year. I don't know how he coexists with Julius Randle. Those are two guys who can quote-unquote stretch the floor. Obi much more than Julius Randle, but they are really most comfortable operating in the interior, and Randall likes to bring the ball sometimes and pretend he's a point guard, and that's pretty funny. But Obi's not going to be able to roam along the baseline in the dunker spot much because this team is always going to be playing a non-shooting big man alongside him. I don't know if he gets relegated to more of a floor-spacing role, which I don't think is him at his best. I don't know how he's going to find success in the pick-and-roll as a role man with Alfred Payton as the primary ball handler. But what do you see from Obi? Is this going to be a good year for him, or is it going to be... A Knicks year. Yeah, let's let's call it that. Let's call it a Knicks year. Um, I mean, I think that Obi can put up in a starting lineup maybe 15 points per game, but like you said, is Carson, a seven-year-old in his Xbox could have built a better Knicks squad than what the Knicks have put together here in a stylistical basketball fit in 2020. I definitely want to clip that out. That is uh, probably our video content for today, uh, Carson's Nick rant, because all of their moves this offseason made absolutely no sense. Uh, what you laid out, Randall, Robinson, and Toppin. That is just a, <laughs> it's just a front court that makes no sense at all. So, uh, Obi will get 15 points per game on fast breaks and cutting to the bucket sometimes, but I think you're right. I think his game is going to suffer, and we're going to see very little to no improvement from a lot of players on this roster because they have no complimentary pieces alongside them. Every single player in basketball benefits from spacing, but some people benefit more than others, and I think that Obi Toppin and R.J. Barrett are both people who would benefit from good spacing more than others because Obi needs to have that roam to be that that room to roam as that lob threat. He does not have that. R.J. Barrett, who to me is the X factor, how does he develop? I've already talked about it. He needs to be able to have guys who are spacing the floor around him so he has room to attack one-on-one or out of the pick and roll. And this is a guy who you highly invested in, third overall pick, and he was 40% from the field, 32% from three, 61% from the line last year, 2.6 assists per game to 2.2 turnovers a game. There's not a lot of encouraging stuff there lying in the numbers, and I don't think there was a lot of encouraging stuff when you watched him play either. He has solid feel for the game. We know what he can be athletically. We know what he can be as a finisher at the rim, but if that shot off the dribble doesn't come along, He's not going to be a particularly relevant player in this league for all that long. At the same time, have you given him enough to work with? Obviously not. You've put him in the worst possible situation, and it's almost criminal. I don't think the Knicks should be allowed to draft players anymore. I think that we should just give them Taj Gibson and people who play exactly like Taj Gibson and let them trot that out for an entire season. But I don't think we're going to learn that much about the Knicks this year, honestly. 
I know that people love Mitchell Robinson. They're optimistic about him. Mitchell Robinson has one of the clearest ceilings of a basketball player I've ever seen. He's a fantastic athletic rim runner. He's a good rim protector, not a great rim protector because he's very undisciplined there. He doesn't have any sort of handle or shot or playmaking instincts. Like, he's not going to grow there. Kevin Knox, gross. Just the epitome of inefficient, incapable defensively. Doesn't have any feel for the game. Frank Nielakina, sorry. Literally a thousand miles away offensively. So... Another year of Knicks desperation. I have no reason for optimism. Sucks to suck, nerds. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Any final thoughts on the Atlantic Division? Because that's the five teams. It's a loaded group. I don't think that any division compares throughout basketball. Although, I take that back because the Pacific Division is loaded as well. But any final thoughts before we get into the Central? I'm just trying to put as much space between me and the New York Knicks as possible. Well, guess what, man? You are going to be an active New York Knicks fan this year because we have some undisclosed amount of money riding on this deal now that we did not establish, but it's $100,000. So for those of you who are wondering at home. All right, let's get into the Central where there's a very clear front runner in my opinion. They are the team that has the back-to-back MVP. They are the reigning one seed in the Eastern Conference, and they have held that title for two years as well. The Milwaukee Bucks Where do you have them slated? I have them first in the conference, as I just alluded to. What do you see coming from them this year? Uh, I also have them first in the conference, and uh, you said it. This team's had the best defense these past two seasons. They've been the best team in the NBA the past two years, and I expect that trend to continue. Uh, They brought in Drew Holiday. I think a lineup alongside DiVincenzo, Middleton, Antetokounmpo, and Lopez, that's awesome defensively. I think they will once again uh, be the best team in that regard, especially with Giannis. Uh, The issue with this team, obviously, has been late in games. When you need a bucket, uh, you don't want to go to Giannis. You want to go to Chris Middleton, and Middleton has let them down in years previous. Uh, And I don't know if Drew Holiday changes that. I think that that shooting-wise... I don't know if Drew Holiday was the best move. I know he's a decent shooter. He's an excellent defender. But they did get a, they did get rid of their best three-point shooter in George Hill to Oklahoma City. They gave away a pretty plus defender in Eric Bledsoe. I think Drew Holiday changes that. But you also lose Wesley Matthews, Ursan Ilyasova. Um, so th- those guys aren't just little losses for a team that suffers with shooting. Not, not to the level of the Sixers, but they struggle with shooting. Losing those pieces definitely hurts you. Um, they did bring in Nick Stauskas, they brought in Bryn Forbes, they brought in DJ August and Jordan Wara. I think all of those moves are uh, really smart, uh, will help them shooting-wise. Uh, Forbes is excellent, we all talked about him in our off-season predictions and how much of an asset he will be. I think late in games, if you need shooting, he is a player that you want alongside Giannis. Uh, I just, basketball fit-wise, I don't know if I like Drew Holiday. I, I just don't know about this lineup fully because you don't have dominant shooters alongside Giannis. You have good ones in Lopez, in Middleton, and DiVincenzo and Holiday, but you don't have excellent pieces. So I think we're going to get the exact same. I think the way you said that we're not going to learn anything about the Knicks, Carson, we're not going to learn anything about the Milwaukee Bucks until the postseason. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to dominate the regular season. Everybody's going to get all hyped up, call Giannis the best player in basketball. They're going to have the number one seed. We are all going to get on the Bucks bandwagon and say, oh, no one's going to be able to stop them. And then in the playoffs, we're going to see if their shooting woes continue in the playoffs, if these late-game situations continue to be their Achilles heel, the Bucks will be out in the playoffs. They'll lose Giannis this offseason. Or this is finally the year where they do it. They put it together. DiVincenzo, Holland, uh, Holiday, and Middleton light it up from deep, and they win a title. Um, those are really the two outcomes, but I don't think we learn anything in the regular season. I think they dominate everybody once more. 
Yeah, regular season dominance will never be a problem for this team. They're one of the most dominant regular season squads that we have had in quite some time. And the starting five is loaded. The Bogdanovich loss, not technically a loss, but the fact that they had him and then they lost him will always hurt. I'm interested in seeing if they start Forbes or DiVincenzo because I think DiVincenzo is the better basketball player. I also think he can do more with the ball in his hands and is more of a Swiss Army knife, so I wonder, and not as good of a pure shooter, so I wonder if you run him with the second unit more. But you talk about the shooting for this team, and it's interesting. They add guys like Torrey Craig. They bring back Pat Connaughton. Those are two... You know, not subpar, but below average three-point shooters at this team. And those are actual synonyms, but I feel like there are different connotations to them because they're basically 33% guys from deep in their careers. So those are fine signings. Um, and then DJ Arostein, I really like as the kind of guy who can run a second unit. The George Hill loss obviously hurts, but this team is better than last year. That is undeniable. Bobby Portis is another guy who they picked up who intrigues me. I know that we are all out on him because we just saw him in a New York Knicks uniform and everything is ugly there and he was one of a gazillion power forwards and he plays selfish basketball with tunnel vision and he's not a plus defender. He has all these flaws, but he's a skilled big man who can fill it up as a scorer, who shoots 36% from deep with a 7-2 wingspan, so maybe they can maximize his value in this system, but when I look at the X factor for this team, there's a couple things really. You talked about the clutch offense and that is always going to stand out to me because... It honestly all revolves around that. I think that Dante DiVincenzo is the X factor for this team. And the reason for that is they need another guy who can just make something happen with the ball in his hands, who can go and get you a big bucket when you need to, or who can drive and kick and create an easy look for somebody else. And I think DiVincenzo has that potential. I wish he was a better pure shooter of the basketball, but as a Swiss Army knife, he's a fantastic cutter. He's a plus defender. He has real secondary playmaking instincts. So if he can continue to improve in his third season now, I think that does a lot for this team because... When I look at the other guys that they have in clutch situations, I'm not expecting DiVincenzo to suddenly become the guy they give the ball to late, but Holiday was terrible in those spots last year. In clutch situations, he was a 34% shooter from the field, 27% from three. Middleton was a 30.6% shooter from the field in clutch situations, so those guys aren't going to take over in those spots. It has to be somebody. I don't think it's DiVincenzo necessarily, but the more options you have, the better. This is why the Bogdanovich loss hurt so much. He could have been that guy for them in late games. I... Don't think they'll be my finals pick. I like them more than last year. I really do because I think that Holiday is a huge upgrade from Bledsoe. But he's not that closer. He's not the guy who's going to win you a game in the last minute. And that is always going to be a shortcoming of this team. Yeah, I think that they have... I think they have finals upside, Carson. But uh, <laughs> the one thing that I don't think we're worried about, though, Giannis, with this time off, if Giannis comes back with a three-pointer, Carson, I think we can call this year a wrap and just give him the title. It depends on what kind of three-pointer we're talking about. Like, if he's suddenly knocking shots down off the dribble like Kawhi, then yes. And he will be one of the top five players of all time if that happens. But if he's just knocking down open threes more consistently, that matters, obviously. But he's still not going to be the guy you give the ball to with 30 seconds left to go get you that game-winning shot. So... I think the question for this Bucks team is, in years past, they may have been a better roster than other teams, and they may win way more blowout games than anybody else, but when it comes down to the tough ones, they tend to lose them more often than they probably should, considering how good of a team they are. And we'll see if that changes this year, or if because of the holiday pickup, they're just so much better than everyone else that they're winning games by 15 points every time, and they don't even have to get into the greatest situations because the other teams are too flawed. I don't know. I'm intrigued as always. But the Bucks are, they're going to be similar to what they have been for the past few seasons with some interesting wrinkles thrown into the mix. Another team that fits almost that exact same description of what I just said 
is the Indiana Pacers, who are looking very similar to last year. We highlighted it before. They were going to have a boring offseason, and they did. I have them second in this division. I have them seventh in the conference. Logan, where do you have this team? Uh, I have them second in this division as well, eighth in the conference. Uh, I think they barely sneak in uh, with that seed. Like you said, a really boring offseason. They traded away TJ Leaf. They got Jalen McHugh. Uh, they re-signed Holiday, Samson, Bowen, and Martin. I mean, really, this is pretty much the exact same team that we saw last year. But I think the X factor for this squad has to be Victor Oladipo, the guy that we saw last year in the playoffs. He got a lot more minutes than we saw in the regular season, only four games, 17 points per game, didn't really shoot well. It's just going to be, can he fit alongside Malcolm Brogdon extensively? Can they play together? Uh, there's other questions that come into the mix as well. Do we get bubble TJ Warren for this regular season? Because he's a guy that I think could bump this team from the eight seed and with how difficult the East is, not really high up there, but to maybe a six seed if TJ Warren is playing at that elite level. Um, there are other questions. Can Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis coexist long-term? Can Turner f fully move into that three-point shooting mold? and stretch the floor? Can Goga Batadze take a jump? There's just a lot of questions here in Indiana. They've got a really solid roster, but I don't expect them to be in any contention for anything major. They can play spoiler in the playoffs, I think. I think they're that good a team if we see them with the guard unit they have in Brogdon, Oladipo, Holiday, McConnell. Probably the deepest guard rotation in the league, but uh, back to it. The X factor is Victor Oladipo. If you come back and you get... If you get, you know, Orlando Magic, uh, Orlando Depot, where he's putting up 17. If you get Indiana or uh, All-Star or a Victor Oladipo, who almost eliminated uh, LeBron James from the playoffs, then this team's ceiling is significantly raised. But if you get injury-riddled Victor Oladipo, who shot 40%, uh, below 40% from the field in the regular season and the playoffs uh, like last season, then uh, the Pacers are going to suffer, and they could miss the playoffs entirely, I think, if we get um, bargain bin Victor Oladipo. Yeah, Oladipo has to be the key to this team. And I think kind of no matter what, the Pacers to me sit in a tier of their own. They're clearly below the top six, which ends with the Raptors for me. I think that they are above the rest of the pack as far as eight through 15. And maybe the Wizards or the Hawks end up being so explosive offensively that you can't deny them. But I just think this team is so solid all around defensively. They're always really good. We know that. I think they can improve offensively. And Oladipo was a big part of that. And he's the key to this team's success for every reason, I think, because... He needs to show that willingness to thrive without the ball in his hands. And he has the skill set, but he did not perform well there last year. He shot 27.5% on two catch-and-shoot threes per game. He registered according to NBA.com, and I feel like this might be a flawed stat because of that, but they credit him with zero cuts last year, which is just ridiculous because that is something that he should be doing frequently and with high efficacy. So if he's going to coexist with Malcolm Brogdon, he has to. And I was optimistic about that fit before last year. I did not like what I saw as far as how this past season went, but he has to make changes in his game, and he also has to be healthy and the dynamic athlete that makes him special as a player. So because Oladipo is kind of the obvious key, I will highlight a, another X factor that I have in mind for this team because, again, so many of the guys are sure things, and I don't know if they're going to have a huge jump in production and success, but I do think it's worth pointing out they were decently injured last year. Jeremy Lamb was injured. Malcolm Brogdon was injured. Oladipo was obviously hurt, so I don't really see them being worse, and... I think Sabonis still has another level to go to if he can become that consistent floor spacer. That is a special, special offensive player, and I don't know how much he's trying to add that to his game, but a consistent three-point shot from him would be just deadly. And I love this core. I love the bench. I've talked about it before. McConnell, the holidays, McDermott, Warren was fantastic. Jeremy Lamb is a really good basketball player. They're just great all around. But 
the second X factor to me is Aaron Holiday because this is a really good young basketball player. He's a plus defender. He's a 39% three-point shooter. He gave you nine and a half points, three and a half assists per game last year, started a good amount of games. But does he have another level to go to? Can he be a high-level pick-and-roll ball handler? Can he be a real initiator of offense? Or is he going to be essentially a guy who can guard up, who can knock down big shots, who can be that secondary playmaker? I don't know. I don't know how great they need him to be. He's just a really intriguing guy in my eyes who in year three is now poised to possibly take a jump. I don't know if the opportunities will be there because the backcourt's kind of loaded with the guys above him, but I want to see if he has the skill set to do that at the very least. Anything else that you see as being important to the success of this Pacers team this coming season? I think you hit it pretty well with what their backup guards can do if we see a big jump out of Holiday, uh, but not really. I mean, they're really running back the same unit. Yeah, I think they're going to be healthier, though, and I think that there's a world in which they are a decent amount better. I don't really see them getting worse, as I've said, unless Oladipo somehow leads this team into self-destruction. But the ceiling for them is just never going to be as high as it is for a bunch of the teams above them. All right. This is going to be interesting as far as how these last few teams in the Central Division shake out because none of them are particularly compelling. I have third in the division, the Chicago Bulls. I have them 11th in the conference. Logan, I'm not going to say what you picked them to do last year because... I don't want to do that. I don't want to make you cry, but do you have the Bulls in the same spot, and what are you expecting from them? No, I'll make myself cry. I'll own it. I picked the Bulls to make the playoffs last year. It was the worst decision of my life. This season, I have made a <laughs> much smarter decision. They're going 12th in the conference and likely will win less than 25 games. Wow. I wouldn't expect expected that out of Chicago. Um, I think the Bulls completely fumbled this offseason. Uh, they blew another number four pick. I think the only good decision they made this year was signing undrafted free agent Devon Dotson. Uh, I like him because he's fast. He adds a different dynamic to this offense. And the Chicago Bulls really don't have their point guard situation figured out considering they started Tomas Sadoransky uh, at so many games last season when they drafted uh, what was their projected point guard, Kobe White, which is what I think the X factor for the Bulls this season is. What do they do with Kobe White? Do they start him at the two? Do they make him a one? Do they try to mold him into that? Does he play alongside Zach Levine? Also, I think that brings up another question in Zach Levine. And does Zach Levine stick around? This guy put up 25 points per game last season. And why I expect them to finish above the Cavaliers and the Pistons in this division? Because I expect Zach Levine to go out there and get buckets for this team. Um... Uh, the starting lineup, Otto Porter Jr., Patrick Williams, Markin, and Carter. No one's really going to be taking touches away from them, so I expect Levine to get buckets. I just, I don't think they did anything right this offseason, Carson. I don't think that Patrick Williams was the right decision uh, just because of what this team needs immediately. I just, I don't know, man. I think this is just a really bad basketball team. I hate what they did. I think Zach Levine potentially gets moved this season. Obviously, you saw the frustration with him last season with their head coach. Um, Kobe White needs the ball. Uh, he, he needs to play the two guard, and they don't have a guy who can run an offense competently. I think that's the biggest issue in Chicago when you have guys like Markin and Wendell Carter who could give you something else offensively if you have a guy who could run the pick and roll. I think the worst decision that the Bulls can make this season is decide that Kobe White is their point guard of the future when he's not. He's not a point guard. He can't run an offense. So, um, Chicago sucked, man. I'm so disappointed with what they've done the past two off-seasons. This team has so much individual talent with a good coaching staff, with a team dedicated to growing this team for the future. They could do some big things. Honestly, the Bulls could quite possibly be the worst team in the East next season if they move Zach Levine mid-year, Carson. I, I am that low on this team. 
So here's why I'm a little bit more optimistic because we've talked about how some of these teams, we probably aren't going to learn that much this regular season. I think we're going to learn a bunch about the Chicago Bulls and many of their individual players because they have been living in basketball hell with Jim Boylan as their coach, and it does not get much worse than that. Now you have a very competent guy running the show in Billy Donovan, not necessarily an offensive schematic genius, but the guy who can establish a culture who players will actually like, who they won't despise entirely. So that doesn't take away the massive basketball fit issues that there are with this team. And the first two people who I look to for that is Zach Levine and Kobe White, because I completely agree Kobe White cannot run an offense, certainly not at this point in the career in his career. I don't think ever so. You trot back Sadoransky out there as your point guard, in my opinion. You keep Kobe White coming off the bench. It's just what's best for the cohesion of this team because the White-Levine minutes where they played together were disastrous last year. They had a minus 10 net rating, which was the worst of any of the Bulls' most significant lineups. And that doesn't fall completely on Kobe White whatsoever. A team with Zach Levine running things has a very clear ceiling because he has a propensity for tunnel vision and taking tough shots, and he's not going to set up his teammate. He's not going to get his offense within the flow of the offense. He's going to establish how the offense is going to play, and it's not great for team-winning basketball. But with this kind of talent, there is no reason for this team to be 29th in offensive rating like they were last year because they were 9th in defensive rating. Jim Boylan, as much as he may suck, did get them to commit on that end and give effort, so they need to progress offensively. I don't know if it's getting innovative. I don't know what changes they're going to make. I don't think it's putting the ball in Kobe White's hands more. He was not competent as a pick-and-roll ball handler. He was in the 39th percentile there. And yes, he's young, so maybe you shouldn't be overly critical there. I just think he's turnover-prone. His vision is not point guard-esque. He loves to just shoot the ball whenever he touches it. So I don't know how they're going to figure out that dynamic. I think long-term, one of them just has to be gone. Maybe it is Zach Levine because... Maybe Kobe White can be more dynamic as a guy who can play off the ball because he's probably a better pure shooter from deep, or at least he will be at his best. But it doesn't look like they're going to make that change right now. I do have a couple more things that I'm intrigued about with this team, though, because the Chicago Bulls actually do interest me a lot this year. First thing I want to talk about is how does Otto Porter Jr. look? Because we only saw 14 games of him last year, but he has been for several seasons a huge plus as far as on-off splits go, so his teams are much better with him on the floor than when he is off the floor, and obviously we know what he brings is that 3 and D guy. He's not going to change everything for them, but he's a quality contributor to this team, and then you have to ask, what's Patrick Williams' role with this team? Because I did not like the pick. I saw some stuff in workout videos that made me a little more optimistic. I still don't think he is going to be able to start for this team because the front court is stacked with guys who they have invested in as well in Otto Porter Jr., who they paid a massive sum of money and in lottery picks like Lori Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. So maybe Williams is just learning this year. Maybe he's playing spot minutes, but there is depth here. Thaddeus Young as an eighth man is pretty good out East and he's probably one of the last guys who will be playing in your rotation. The defense they have established to a certain extent, but offensively, there's another huge question mark. We talked about the White Levine tandem. You mentioned these guys briefly. Wendell Carter Jr. and Lori Markin. When does Wendell Carter Jr. stop shooting 20% from deep? On the defensive end, when does he become less foul-prone? On the offensive end, when does he take the next step as a playmaker to where he can be a real contributor offensively? When does Laurie Markkinen stop taking 53% of his shots from deep like he did last year? And what's crazy is I've talked about this so much because we've seen so much promise from him when he's aggressive, when he's getting downhill, when he has the ball in his hands because he has a little bit of a handle and what he can do out of the post. What's crazy is... His field goal percentage on two-pointers was better than his effective field goal percentage from three this year. So 
That's incredibly difficult to do because the three is essentially overpowered in the modern NBA. You shoot 36% from three, it's the equivalent of shooting 54% from two, but this isn't helping his efficiency because he's not that great of a three-point shooter. He was 34.4% this year. His true shooting percentage this year was very similar to the two years prior. So you always point to the invisible negatives of a guy like Laurie Markkinen or Paul George shooting 50-plus percent of their shots from three. It's that it takes them out of the flow of the offense and they don't have the same variety of touches and they aren't really comfortable making the kind of difficult shots that you need to in the biggest moments because they're taken out of that element. That's not even the only thing here. It's literally not helping him be a more efficient basketball player. He would be better served if he were taking more twos in that respect as well. So Markkinen is a guy who I think... I like his talent a lot. I don't know how I feel about his mindset, and I think that he was in a lot of ways just taken down a peg last year, and it was not an encouraging season from him at all. But what do you expect from those two guys? Do you think things get better, or do you think things just stay like they were last year? I think we probably get more of the same, although I think by bringing in a guy like Billy Donovan, as you mentioned, uh, basketball hell with Jim Boylan, Billy Donovan knows how to use... He's he's had lineups. You remember back in Florida when he had Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford. I think he will help quell some of the issues with the two big men lineups. I think he'll he'll just be a better coach for Chicago. So uh, Billy Donovan might actually be one of the biggest X factors here because there's a lot of talent here in Chicago that we saw go to waste last season. If Billy Donovan can just schematically figure out how to fit these pieces together, maybe, figure, maybe make a midseason trade for a point guard because they desperately need one... Look at me. I'm talking myself back into Chicago being a competent basketball team. I'm just hopeful. I'm hopeful that Billy Don can can figure out some of the schematical issues with Carter and Markin. I think he does. If, like you said, if Markin can just become a little bit more aggressive, uh, he figures out a lot of their issues. Uh, it's going to be on Billy Donovan, though. Uh, but I- I'm confident. I think that they figure out some of their issues this year. Maybe we figure out if uh, they're the future for these, if this is the future tandem in the front court for Chicago. You really just talked your way all the way back into them. And I love it. Yes. I think you should make a playoff. I I think you should make a playoff (laughs) case for them right now. Really, the X factor for this team, though, is Chandler Hutchison, who was one of my favorite (laughs) players in the draft two years ago. And I am still holding on to Chandler Hutchison's stock. I think he can be a real NBA guy. But listen, man, that's what the Bulls do. They just take guys who you like and they drain your hope. I used to love Zach Levine, and now I just see him as this guy whose style of basketball does not lead to winning in any meaningful way. I don't know. It's just pessimism abounds when it comes to the Chicago Bulls. I'm just trying to figure out how the Cleveland Cavaliers were second in attendance last season with this battle roster. What an incredible accomplishment. Okay, well, let's use that as a segue to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I have them finishing fourth in the division, 13th in the conference. What do you see for them this year? Uh, I have them uh, fourth in division, 14th in the conference. I mean... I don't expect a lot out of this roster. I don't like the fit of Drummond alongside Love. I don't like the non-shooting that they have in this lineup. But um, they have young talent, and Darius Garland is the forefront of that. I think the biggest issue we saw in Cleveland, very similar to Chicago last year, they just don't have that point guard. And it's really weird to say because they've got two really good ones in Colin Sexton and Garland, but neither of them have figured out how to pass the basketball. Garland led the team in assists last season with 3.9. They've just got to—I would say they need to space the floor better, but honestly, that's not even a possibility here in Cleveland because when you have Okoro, who, yes, he's a plus defensively, I don't think he addressed their biggest issue. They needed a 
spacer, a shooter. Cleveland doesn't have that right now. They don't even have it off the bench. Their best uh, three off the bench, Kevin Porter Jr. Guess what? He handles the rock. So what I think Cleveland has to do this season, Carson, we talked about it extensively last year when we brought up Cleveland. You've got to pick a side like Twix. You've got to go Carland or you've got to go Sexton because both of these guys cannot play alongside together. Uh, Sexton has chosen... I'm just going to shoot the basketball. I'm just going to put up the rock. I'm not going to play defense. Uh, Sexton would be the guy that I think is on the move anyway. I like Garland a little bit more either way. He's younger. I think he can shoot the basketball better. Uh, I just like Garland a little more because he's faster. He's just got more tools in his bag. But uh, they've just got to figure out their lineup. I don't think that B-line at the helm was the best decision for them either. He couldn't figure out how to work these pieces together. Uh, Their biggest issue is just going to be figuring out this guard rotation. And then... What do you do with Andre Drummond? Drummond has proven he's not... <laughs> I guess, you know what, I'm going to talk myself into it here. I guess if you're going to pick a situation where this works, where two guards are just chucking up shots, Andre Drummond is going to be great for just grabbing rebounds that these two guys miss uh, off their missed shots. I don't expect out a lot of Cleveland. They didn't make a whole lot of moves in the offseason. They lost Thompson, they lost McKinney, they lost Zizic, and they brought in Isaac Okoro and JaVale McGee. So... Cleveland's going to stink again just because of how they look roster-wise, but they have to figure out this guard rotation this season, Carson. That is the biggest issue in Cleveland, and until they figure that out, they are going to continue being a poor passing, facilitating basketball team. I agree, and they're also going to continue to be a terrible defensive basketball team because they were the league-worst defense last year. I don't really see that improving, even with the addition of Andre Drummond, who is a plus on that end. Look, what it comes down to is this team is coached by J.B. Bickerstaff. And if you're coached by J.B. Bickerstaff, that means something has gone terribly wrong in your franchise historically because it means that somebody has gotten fired and J.B. Bickerstaff is filling in for a couple weeks. And things are so bad in Cleveland, they said, hey, how about we bring him in for four years instead? So not optimistic about anything there. I have them 13th. I really couldn't put them below the Knicks. I just think they have way more talent. Like, I like Garland more than I like R.J. Barrett, honestly. I think Love and Drummond are better pure basketball players than anybody who the Knicks have. So there are ways for the Cavs to be better than this, but it's all about the fit and it's about defense because the fit right now is pretty hideous. You have Andre Drummond, who is going to be a black hole out of the post when you give him the ball down there and is archaic and is not cohesive to a fluid offense that has floor spacing and dynamic shooting. And that's not exactly what I think the Cavs are going to be, but it would be nice if they could find a way to do that. And of course, as you touched on, it's these two guards who are going to be battling each other for touches who are not necessarily making the people around them better. I do think Garland is the X factor this year because I do see real star potential in him still. I think that you talk about such a quick first step and he has great floater touch. He's a fluid shot maker off the dribble. I think he can be effective out of the pick and roll. He ran a lot of it last year. He wasn't great out of it, but guess what? Rookie point guards just struggle across the board, honestly, so I'm not going to condemn him for that, and so I think he can grow and improve, and there are some decent pinch pieces here. Okoro, I think, will contribute immediately, certainly on the defensive end, maybe as a shooter as well, maybe as a secondary playmaker. JaVale, not that you really need more big men, honestly, but JaVale McGee is a good basketball player. Kevin Porter Jr. is an incredibly skilled shot maker, so... When I compare them to the Pistons and the Knicks, the two teams who I have below them, I just like the roster more. And there are guys who will be able to get you buckets on this team. Chetty will be holding this whole team together by a string saying, hey guys, I like to share the ball. I shoot the ball well. Maybe we should all try to do these things. But it's going to be ugly. 
I do feel like Love and Drummond will propel them to some wins. I feel like Sexton will propel them to the win some wins. So that's why I can't have them below this. I thought about even having them above the Bulls. I honestly think that people are a little bit too low on the Cavs league-wide because as hideous as the fit is, and although they have no direction, there are individually good players on this team. But still not much reason to be optimistic. Just hopefully Garland turns out well. Hopefully Okoro takes strides and they can pick somebody up who's of great value in this coming draft. So that feels like enough about the lowly Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's wrap this up by talking about the equally lowly, maybe more lowly, Detroit Pistons, who I have finishing last in this division. I have them finishing 14th in the conference above only the New York Knicks. Where do you have Detroit? Dude, you have the Knicks as the last team in the East? Why are you acting like that's surprising? The Knicks are disgustingly terrible. (laughs) I don't know at this point. I guess I thought the Knicks are going to be good this year. I have the Pistons as the worst team in the East. That's why it surprises me. Um, I think uh, this is a kind of prediction like I had for the Thunder last year. I expect them to move Derrick Rose at some point, even though... Now, I guess there's a different route I expect Detroit could choose, and he could be a bit of a mentor to Killian Hayes. Uh, I think it's best for Derrick Rose in his career if they move him to a contender and let him title chase because he's still got that left in the tank. Uh, at 32 years of age. So I I would prefer they move on from Rose. I don't think anybody will take the Blake Griffin contract, especially coming off of another injury. So I expect Blake to stick around. That being said, the the offseason is a real question mark for me in Detroit. If you were trying to stink, if you're trying to get younger, I don't know why you'd go out and sign a contract with Mason Plumlee, Jaleel Okafor, uh, Jeremy Grant, all of these long-term deals that uh, hurt your cap flexibility for the future. Although, Grant is a piece that could be used. Hey, we've got Jeremy Grant. We're working on becoming title contenders. I can see him being a valuable asset for getting free agents in the future. Uh, that being said, though, this team's going to stink. They don't have a whole lot of. Uh, they didn't make a whole lot of key additions to winning basketball games. Derrick Rose, if he sticks around, likely going to be up near twenty points per game. Uh, Griffin will likely be around fifteen. I mean. There's just not a lot of scorers here on this roster. I think the X factor for this team, if we're going to pick one out, is going to be Killian Hayes and what he can do his first season. Uh, honestly, Hayes is a guy that I expect could average, you know, seven, eight assists per game and uh, average, you know, 15. And I think that if there is one plus of getting these veteran guys to your roster, unlike what the New York Knicks have done for R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin, you get competent players around these young guys who have been around the league a long time who know how to play basketball. They know their roles in the league. So if there is an advantage to having these older guys, it is that they're going to be able to help with Sekou Demboya, Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, all of these younger guys. But as for what you want to have as a mindset moving forward, I don't like signing these longer contracts. Um, like I said, though, X-Factor, Killian Hayes, if he has a good season, if they give him playing time along Derrick Rose, that that should be the goal of the Pistons this year. Get Killian Hayes as much confidence, as much experience this year of running an NBA caliber offense among talent, and then see from there on because uh, this Pistons team is not going to be competing for anything except the number one overall pick. Like the Cleveland Cavaliers, the direction of this team does not make any sense, but I don't think they have the worst basketball roster in the league. I do think that they're pretty close. It's a pretty ugly group overall, but I do think it's better than the Knicks. The issue is the basketball fit is just so awkward all around. This offense is going to be so clogged up. There's just not enough creators here. As you touched on, it's D. Rose and who else? For Hayes, I hope that he can produce like you said. 
I don't really think so because this is a pretty tough starting spot. He doesn't have an abundance of shooters around him. He doesn't have a great role man, although shout out Mason Plumley, He's okay there, but he's not exactly a fantastic role man. And he might not have the ball in his hands all that much because D. Rose is there alongside him. And if you look at the supporting cast, not to say that Killian Hayes is the star, but just the other important pieces in Detroit, Plumley, Rose, Blake, obviously those guys all definitely prefer not to operate from the perimeter from the three-point line. You have some sharpshooters off the bench in Ellington and Sadiq Bay and Tony Snell, but not overly impactful players. So I, there's not much to like here. I do like DeLon Wright a lot. I think that he might be their most impactful point guard overall on winning because he's a Swiss Army knife. The dude can be a cutter. He can work without the ball in his hands. He can be a plus defender. He's just a smart, instinctual basketball player who I like a lot. But the X factor for me for this team, because I guess they still want to compete. I don't know if it's because they've been handcuffed into the situation because of the Blake contract or if they are honestly living in some deluded reality in which they are going to compete for the playoffs with this roster. If that is their goal, though, the X factor is what does Blake Griffin look like? Because last year he was scoring 15 and a half points, grabbing five boards a game on 35% shooting, 24% from three. He was just a year removed from his best season ever, but... Obviously, Blake had already lost a step from what he was as a youngster athletically, but he had compensated for it by developing so much as a playmaker and as a pure shooter of the basketball. And last year, it just looked like he had lost another step. Like, he wasn't dynamic at all. It looked like he was moving almost in slow motion at times, and maybe he was playing kind of hurt. I don't know. I think that he might just be permanently hurt, though, and that's the reality that he's living in now. So, he's not that old, obviously, but it doesn't feel like we're going to get much great stuff out of Blake. If we do... He could be a great trade piece for them or could keep them more competitive than we are anticipating. The other key for me is what is Sekou Demboya? Because you are obviously building for the future at this point. And Sekou and Killian Hayes are two really young guys who you have invested in with these lottery picks. And sometimes with Sekou, I've talked about this before, I like what I see where he's a fluid, long athlete who can kind of shoot the basketball and who can kind of handle. And other times, his handle's reckless. He's airballing shots by four feet. He's just all over the place right now, which makes sense. He's a late starter. He's a guy who doesn't look fully comfortable in his body yet, but maybe we'll get there. He does have some fluidity, as I mentioned. So we'll see where he goes, but this team's not going to do something particularly significant right now. Jeremy Grant, I... Honestly, I don't even know what to make of him. I guess he thinks he's suddenly going to be handling the ball and maybe running pick and roll and <laughs> making big time shots, scoring 20 points a game. I don't know if he knows that he can't do that, but he is about to find that out the hard way. <laughs> and for the rest of these guys, it's just they have some decent wings. They really do. Some of the guys I mentioned, Ellington, Bay, Sekou, Magruder, Tony Snell, DeLon Wright. They're solid basketball players, but it's just not nearly enough. And offensively, it's going to be a brutal watch this entire season. So the Pistons are not at the top of my watch list. It's really just going to be Killian Hayes, and if Blake can have some sort of revival, that would be fun. I'm heartbroken that one of my personal favorites, Mason Plumley, is going to be being play, playing basketball in this dumpster fire. It bums me out, but that's the reality. He got paid there. Any other thoughts on the Pistons before we wrap this thing up? Uh, yeah, I, I think they should have brought Thon Maker back. That, that was foolish, man. He's going to have his MVP season here in Cleveland. You know what, man? I think you might be onto something there. I really think you hit the nail on the head there. Although, of course, we did not mention him for a second in our Cleveland preview. Uh, actually, though, I don't know how you bring all these guys back and re-sign all these new players, but you choose to lose out on Christian Wood and Luke Kennard when they are proven uh, good basketball players. Well, I think it's because Detroit is averse to good basketball players. 
I kind of get it because they are just a little bit out of your window, but then you go and bring in guys who are way more out of your window. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. Although I do like the Sadiq Bay pick, and I hope that he does good things in Detroit. So that's going to do it for our Atlantic and Central Division previews. We are going to continue talking about the Southwest and Southeast on Wednesday's show because we are replacing our sports history show this week with NBA talk just because the season has snuck up on us and we got to get all of our preview content in there. So... Next week, we'll wrap up the divisions, we'll talk about awards, we'll make our playoff picks, all of that, but right now we're just going team by team, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting to see even what these weird, hideous teams look like. I'm excited to see the Cavs when I can, I'm excited to see the Pistons when I can. That excitement will fade very quickly, but it will be there for a moment, see if maybe some of these young guys have progressed. So, that's all we've got for today. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Set. <laughs>